You're listening to Straight from the Pulpit. Here you will find sermons taken directly from the pulpit of Shenandoah Baptist Church in Verona, Virginia. We preach Christ, study the Word of God, and help the Christian grow spiritually by applying God's Word to their lives. For more information or to read the pastor's blog, go to sbcverona.com. That is sbcverona.com. I want you to take your Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Last week, we looked at the proof of the resurrection, uh, the Old Testament prophecies about the resurrection, and the proof of his power and what Christ had power over uh, when it came to what the resurrection showed that he had power over. So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and... I want to begin reading, let's see, uh, back in, hmm, find the right one here, back in verse number 12, back in verse number 12, it says this, now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some that, I'll tell among you that there is no resurrection of the dead, but if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Verse number 23, it says, But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ's at his coming. We'll stop there. Today I want to focus in in on verses 21 and 22 and talk about this evening the picture of the resurrection. What is the resurrection picturing for us as we talk about bearing spiritual fruit? And we looked for a long time at the root system, and now we begin to look at the first fruits of the resurrection. We look at um, bearing spiritual fruit uh, because Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. Uh, and so we pay attention here to these specific verses. Um, what is the resurrection? What is, let's see, what's another way, I guess, to picture or look at the resurrection. Look again at verses 21 and 22. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Again, we are talking here about bearing spiritual fruit, but I want you to understand this. You say, what in the world does the resurrection have to do with 
you know, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, you know, all of the, the fruits of the spirit. What, what does the resurrection have to do with that? Okay, again, what was the whole purpose of the roots? You have to have your roots in the right place so that you can draw up the right nutrients so that then in turn you can have a byproduct of good spiritual fruit. However, what happens if we sever ourselves from that power? What happens if we go through and, and we cut ourselves off from the vine and the power of it? Are we going to be able to produce fruit? Absolutely not. And when we deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ, or when we doubt the resurrection of Jesus Christ, or when we discount the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that's exactly what we do. We sever ourselves from the power of God. The resurrection is this power of God. And we talked about that last week, about how it reveals to us the power of God in so many ways. So that's why we're talking about the resurrection here. Because it is that life-giving power that runs through that stalk up into us to help us to produce fruit. Now we look here at the scene of the resurrection. It's very similar to two aspects of our lives this evening. I'll go ahead and tell you what they are. Number one is this, a picture of condemnation. And number two, the picture of conversion. These are my two points this evening. The picture of condemnation and the picture of conversion. And now I can hit my conclusion and land this plane and we can go on home, right? Now that I've given you my two points. No, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. Sorry. Number one, the picture of condemnation. Back again to verse 21. For since by man came death, we stop and think about that. Adam and Eve placed in the garden. They were given eternal life. They were given uh, the, the presence of God to be able to physically walk in the presence of God. They were given uh, a, a kind of life that we've never been able to experience yet, but we will one day. When things are returned back to the way they once were. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? We always wondered what it was like in the garden for Adam and Eve. Well, you know what? We're going to get to experience what that's like. When there is a new heaven and a new earth and there is a new Jerusalem and we are going to be living there in that way with him. Like Adam and Eve once were able to enjoy, but lost. We will be able to one day experience. So this is what he's talking about. Verse 21, um, since by man came death, man chose death. Man chose to know both good and evil. He didn't want to just know love. He didn't want to just know goodness. He didn't want to just know joy. He didn't want to, to just know happiness. How can I appreciate joy and happiness and love if I don't understand what hatred is and if I don't understand what uh, the lack of peace is, turmoil is, if I don't understand what sin is, how can I really appreciate eternal life if I don't know what death is? Now, I don't think that's what Adam and Eve were really thinking. At least I don't think that's what Eve was really thinking. But they came to understand both good and evil. And so now there is a distinction between joy and sorrow because now they experienced it. Now there was a distinction between love and hatred because now for the first time in their life, they experienced it. Now there was a distinction between life and then when their son came, Abel dies, is laying there and they see a human dead on the ground for the very first time ever in all of human history. And they go through that, that, that separation from their son, Abel, 
And not only that, they lost their other son, Cain, in the process as a murderer. And God chased him away off into the wilderness. Imagine the great pain that Adam and Eve were suffering then. This had never happened before. There was no pastor out there to, to sit down in the office and counsel them. There was no uh, church out there for them to sit down as a congregation and pray together. Imagine how Adam and Eve were going through this particular separation from both of their sons, one through death and one through banishment. And so when they say here in verse 21, since by man came death, this is what they're talking about, through Adam. And that's why in that Christmas song we sing, Adam's likeness now efface, stamp thine image in its place. We need to take that Adam part of us, that likeness of Adam that is stamped upon us or that is put upon us when we are born. We are born in the likeness of Adam, bearing that sin uh, in us when we are born because of Adam. You efface that, scratch it out, and stamp a new image in its place. And whose image is that? Well, it is Jesus Christ. Second Adam from above, the song goes, reinstate us in thy love. Those words always stick out to me a lot when we're singing it just from the, 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 the sheer importance of it. So verse 21 again, For since by man came death, the other side of the coin, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. Because of man, death came. Because of another man, resurrection came. We go on. For as in Adam, all die. Again, we see back, flip the coin over again, Adam. For as in Adam, all die. Flip the coin over. Even so in Christ shall all be made alive. There is no discussion of a resurrection until there is death. Because only that which is dead can be resurrected. And I think that's one of the things that comes with salvation that sometimes we have a tendency not to think about. In order to be saved, we have to give up. In order to be saved, in order for salvation to come, we have to submit and turn it all over to Him. We have to give up completely on anything that we were doing or can do or are trying to do or are hoping to do and just turn it all over to Him. In order to be resurrected, one must die. Before salvation, we stood in Adam. We were condemned, but now in Christ, we have a perfect standing before God. Adam chose to sin. Death came into the world like it tells us in Romans 5.12, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. And it was through Adam that judgment came. We're told in verse 22 there that for as in Adam all die. Now, I know Adam and Eve were probably thinking to themselves, if this fruit brings death, they might have been thinking instant death. And I imagine, I wonder if Eve, as she was being tempted by that serpent, and he was saying, oh, no, but God is holding back so much from you. You're going to be so wise if you try this fruit. It's going to open up your eyes to the other side of the world that you didn't, weren't aware of. Like when the devil goes and tempts that Christian young person who's not experienced much of the world outside of church and home and uh, things which mom and dad have, have kept, they've, they've been kept inside that bubble. And that, that devil goes and tempts that little kid and says, hey, listen, there's so much out there that they're just hiding from you. You're just missing out on so much. Boy, if you just go out there and try this thing, your eyes are going to be open to a whole new world. 
of hurt. Oh, he doesn't tell you that, though. He doesn't tell you that. And that's why we need to prepare our children for the attacks and the temptations that are going to come. And then when they come, and when they do fall to some of them, we help them. We don't just kick them and shove them off to the side. We help them. We bandage them. We, we, we carry them. We pray for them. Pray with them. We give them the tools necessary to help them to succeed spiritually. And then we pray like, like they're, I don't even know how to say it right, but uh, we pray like it's everything. Because of Adam's sin, all men die physically, and they're already dead spiritually because they were born dead spiritually. For the wages of sin is death, the Bible says, but the gift of God is eternal life. Well, where does this gift come from? You say, I was born in sin. That's what the Bible tells me. That's what God wanted me to know, that I was born in sin. So then how can I go from sin to righteousness? The wages of my sin is, is death, not just a physical death, but that is true too. But also it is a spiritual death that I started in, and it is an eternal separation from God. That is, I think, one of the scariest parts. I can only die once, can't I? I mean, no matter how awful the death may be, at some point it'll be over. And then I won't feel anything and I won't have to be scared anymore. But then it goes on into eternity. What goes on in eternity? This eternal separation from God in hell. The wages of sin is death. Wages, that's what I've earned. That's what I deserve. But the gift of God is eternal life. Through what? Jesus Christ, our Lord. We see in the resurrection a picture here of condemnation. It's vital. If we don't understand that we are condemned to death in Adam. It was just like Jesus was condemned to death upon that cross and they took his lifeless body down off that cross thinking all of their hopes were crushed and placed his body in that tomb and sealed it up and placed those soldiers around there fully expecting that that body would never again exit the doors of that tomb. We see in that the picture of death, the picture of condemnation. We can understand why we need the resurrecting power. It's sometimes hard to view ourselves as that dead body spiritually. And we think, I could, if I can just energize myself enough spiritually, I can overcome that. But that's not the way it works. A dead body just cannot will itself to live because there is no will in it. So then an unsaved person cannot just will themselves to be spiritual because there is no will in them. The will to do right is completely gone. It is completely dead spiritually. However, this picture of condemnation is only half of the picture. Because the resurrection, yes, it involves death. There is no resurrection if there is not death first. But then there's also the picture of conversion here in verse number 22, where he says, For as in, for as in Adam, all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. So in Adam, we're part of that sinful race, and we fall short of the glory of God, Romans 6.23 tells us, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. To come short of the glory of God means 
that if we were to measure ourselves up to God's glory, we would come up short. We don't have enough. We're not tall enough to climb the stairs or the ladder to heaven. No man is because there is no stairs. There is no ladder that we can climb to heaven. If we are completely and wholly incapable, we will always fall short. I remember singing a song in the bus when I was a kid about, you know, you can't get to heaven in roller skates. You can't get to heaven on riding a kangaroo. You can't get to heaven, a, you know, various, you know, part, various verses on how you can't get to heaven. Um, because you can't get to heaven by going to church or riding the bus to Sunday school or uh, in any other way. We have to view ourselves as dead. We are part of that sinful race, but because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can be made alive. Yesterday, as I was running that tiller through my, my garden, and I was trying to just chop up that stuff that was growing in there and get it down into the dirt. And I thought, well, okay, I'll just let it, you know, you know, rot down into the dirt, and maybe that'll be good for my dirt. Some of you are probably inside shaking your head right now. Whatever. You know what? I'm trying. So you just let me try, okay? Maybe I'll give you a potato or something later, or a carrot if I get one. But you know what? I was tilling that stuff, and I was trying to get it down into the soil. And some of those were um, were pretty tough still, even though they were definitely dead. Anything that was still left over in that garden was dead as a doornail. Um, but some of it still did not want to be pulled out. I put on a pair of gloves because some of it was thorny. And I grabbed a hold of that thing, and those thorns went straight through my gloves and broke off you know, in the glove and in my hand. And I did, that's why I got the tiller out because <laughs> I got tired of trying to pull thorny somethings out of my uh, garden. And I decided I would just kill them and chop them up in little bits uh, and bury them in my garden out of malice towards them. Uh, and so that's what I just decided to do. And so I buried them there. And you know what's going to end up happening next year? You know what's going to happen when I, I threw a couple of pumpkins in there? I'm going to have a bunch of pumpkins growing this summer. I knew it was going to happen. And as I was tilling, I kept seeing pumpkin seeds pop up every now and then. I thought, oh, no, I'm going to have so many pumpkins, you know, growing up in this garden uh, this summer. Uh, I'm going to have to be sure to pull those as fast as I can whenever I see them, because uh, I don't want a bunch of pumpkins growing in there. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can be made alive. He died. And, and what is a living plant? A living plant is one where the root system is working. And it is drawing those nutrients up and sending them up the stalk out into those branches to grow those leaves and then ultimately to grow those fruit. Maybe those beans or those peas or something, those pods that hang off of the branches. It's, it's, it's drawing those nutrients up from the soil through the stalk. And those nutrients, this is the power of God, the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, there are religions all around this world who worship founders whose bodies still lie in the grave. Confucius, he's buried in his hometown of Khufu in China. Buddha was cremated, and some of his uh, relics are believed to remain still in various temples. Muhammad is buried in Medina, Saudi Arabia. Joseph Smith, the founder of uh, the Mormons, is interred in Nauvoo, Illinois, and the list goes on and on of founders of religions who are dead. Jesus is not dead, though. He is alive. He is not residing in some grave. As a matter of fact, we don't even know which grave was his. 
oh, you could go over to Jerusalem and they will, there's a couple different prominent ones that you can go to and they'll say, this was the tomb of Jesus. And you can go in and maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. At the very least, you get a pretty good idea of what it would have been like, even if it isn't the exact one. But there's competing, you know, uh, places where they say this is the tomb of Jesus or this is the hill of Golgotha. And, and even then, we're still not 100% sure exactly which one of those places is the hill of Golgotha. We don't know exactly where his tomb is and why is that? He's not in it. If he was in it, don't you think they would have taken his body and they would have made some giant temple around it? But they couldn't. Who knows where he is or where that tomb was? Now we know where he is. Because he told us where he is. He told the disciples where he was going and what he was going to be doing. We've been given that information. So, yeah, Joseph Smith, he's a rotten skeleton inside a box, inside a massive, beautiful cathedral, I'm sure. Or temple, I think they call him. Inside a big old temple. A beautiful white and probably golden covered box filled with dead men's bones. But our Savior, our Jesus Christ, lives and breathes. He has blood pumping through his veins. I wondered the other day, I wonder if he still has to eat. And he has a human body, right? I wonder if he still needs to drink water right now. You know, thoughts that go through my mind when I should be doing other things, I suppose. But Jesus rose from the dead. We can't go and visit his burial site. We don't know where it is and it wouldn't do us any good because he's not even there. There is only one who has conquered death and the grave, and it is Jesus Christ. And that alone should settle it. That alone should settle it. The resurrection pictures not just condemnation and death, but it also symbolizes or pictures to us conversion. This coming alive like in baptism when the the, the Saved person is coming up out of the water and that water runs down off of their body. Is it cleansing them of their sin? No. Well, what, is they, what are they doing? They're coming up out of the grave. The person that they once were is dead and gone. And so are the things that they did. So are the things that had them. So is their sin nature, their old man. It is dead and gone. It gets buried down beneath that water. And then when the preacher raises them back up again, he says, raised to walk in newness of life. You are now a new creature, according to the Bible. That's what we're supposed to be. Now we are to walk in newness of life. We are to be a different person. It, it pictures that glorious reality that those of us who have trusted Jesus are no longer dead in sin, but we are alive in Christ. Remember how I said this morning that living from paycheck to paycheck or living for another zero in your bank account, or living for more pleasure, that that's not living. That just longing for the next moment of excitement or fun is not living. Because it is living without purpose, without real purpose, without a lasting and satisfying purpose. Romans 6.11 says this, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We're alive unto God. If you're a Christian, we're alive unto God. And how can we be alive unto God except through 
Jesus Christ our Lord. No wonder here in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul was exclaiming a grand victory over death because nothing had been able to overcome death up to this point. Great men, kings, prophets, all of them had succumbed to death at some point in their life. With the exception of, of God reaching in and snatching a few men out, like Enoch and Elijah, snatching them out and, in a sense, rapturing them up alive into heaven, no one has been able to beat death. No one outside of God's power has been able to beat death. And so Jesus was the first fruits of this. That's why we could say later in, in chapter 15, in verses 55 through 57, where it says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Death, where is thy sting? That's why a Christian can lay down on the operating table and, and not fear what comes next, whether they may open their eyes again at the end or not. That is why they can go into that situation and say, death, where is your sting? Others fear death. They fear eternity. They fear going into nothingness and leaving so much undone and unsaid, but we go into eternity. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The resurrection empowers the gospel, and the gospel itself is the power of God. The resurrection is inexorably intertwined with spiritual growth. It is the power of God. And so if I want to grow strong spiritually, man, we started in the roots and placing our roots in the right place. And what is the power then that is coming up through those roots? Well, part of that is the power of God. It is the power of God. And it is revealed to us through his resurrection. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Because it is the power of God. It is the power, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so in this picture of the resurrection, we see it is a picture of condemnation, but it is also a picture of conversion. Amen, if you've been converted. Amen, if you've been saved. And if you now walk in newness of life. If now you have a, a genuine, real purpose. It is a glorious canvas. It was first blackened by condemnation. But Jesus repainted over that with bright hope when he rose from the dead. And so we have a picture of conversion. I think that'd be a good picture for... Uh, um. I think it was named now Barry Webb. For Barry Webb, you know how he does those chalk drawings? Maybe you go and paint the whole thing black. You know, have the story of uh, the, the, you know, the condemnation and the blackness of death. And then, you know, color over top of that blackness and turn it into a, a great revelation of resurrection. And that'd be an interesting one. I had to tell him that. He probably won't do it, but that's all right. 
It made sense in my mind when I said it anyways. So there's this picture here of, con, of conversion. When the very weakest of us turns to Christ for salvation, it's his power that lifts us from condemnation and brings conversion. It is the power of God that causes the germination in that seed and turns it from what appears to be a dead seed to the power of life in that seed. And it is the power of God in us, in a lost soul, that changes us from dead in our sins and trespasses and on our way to hell. He is that, that light, that germination in a sense, that power that changes us from condemnation to conversion. That is the power of the empty tomb. Condemned people can become converted people, and it all happens by the will of God, by the power of God, not by the strength of our will. Think about this. Imagine with me that I had a few pieces of fruit up here on the stage. Maybe I have a banana and a fruit and a kiwi or whatever. Think of your favorite fruit. Imagine it's sitting up here tempting you right now. Some beautiful pieces of fruit. How do you imagine that fruit grew? Well, most of them grow on trees. Strawberries maybe grow on the ground on a little vine. And of course, tomatoes are fruits, right? And uh, so are different peppers. I guess those are considered by some people to be fruits as well. Um, but, you know, those things, you know, grow on the vine and they're fruit. That is how they grew. Uh, that, did, that gr did that fruit just lay there on the ground and start growing? Is that how fruit grows? No. I mean, my body, I need to put fuel and stuff into it, but I don't do it by putting down roots. But a piece of fruit, it has to be connected to the vine. Is it the fruits? Is it to the fruit's glory that it grows bigger and bigger and sweeter and sweeter and brighter colored? Is it, is it of the fruit's power that this occurs? Can the fruit just sit there on the dirt and think to itself, I need to be bigger and I need to be sweeter and I need to be more red and juicier and I need just the right amount of tart and sweet and crispiness and mushiness maybe? I just and Does it just will that in and of itself so that we can glorify that grapefruit for being as amazing as it is? The obvious answer is no. It's the, you can't glory in the grapefruit for it, for being what it is. It's not the apple's glory or it's not the apple's, um, you know, fault that it is what it is. Cause it only got what it drew through the vine. It only was able to obtain what it got through the vine. It does not produce independently of roots. And so if you want to see Christ like change in your life, you cannot do it independent of the root system. And you cannot do it independent of the power of God. I don't know if there's something in your life that needs to be changed. To have a Christ-like change in your life. You cannot do it independent of the, of the flow of the power of God through the root system and through the vine. You cannot do that. Like I said, if you cut out the resurrection, you cut off the stalk and you set yourself to the side and you're not going to succeed. That's just one of the things. If you cut off the power of God altogether, 
which the gospel is the power of God and the salvation. If you cut that off, you're going to set yourself off to the side and shrivel up and die. If you cut yourself off from the word of God, you are not going to be you know, absorbing through the roots the power of God. You're going to cut yourself off and shrivel and die spiritually. If you cut yourself off from the house of God, you're going to set yourself to the side and you're going to shrivel up and die spiritually. And you may not notice it at first. It may take months and it may take years before you notice it, before you begin to realize just how far away from God you have gotten, just how dried up spiritually your life has gotten. We cannot produce it independently of the power of God flowing through lives that are rooted in Christ. And so again, I point us back to that which we cannot see, that which is not evident to the rest of the people in the room, our spiritual root system. Where are those roots going? Are you drawing upon the power of God? Or are you trying to grow spiritually, but independently? I want to have all of these spiritual hallmarks in my life. I want to have all of this fruit in my life. I want the love and the joy and the peace. And I want to be patient and I want to be tender and I want to be meek. And I want to have all of these fruits. I want to be like that as a Christian. I want to be honest and pure. I want those things as a Christian. I'm just not willing to spend much time in the Bible and I'm not willing to do much prayer. and I'm not willing to be faithful to church and I'm not willing to be much of a witness and I'm not willing to obey in every way. And but I still want all of those things. You've severed yourself off from the root system and you've set yourself off to the side and decided to yourself, you know what? I'm still going to grow this great, wonderful fruit despite not having access to the power of God. And it simply doesn't work. You will shrivel up and you will die spiritually. Don't wait until you're shriveled up and dead spiritually again. Don't wait until you've gone so far away from God, you feel like you wouldn't be able to find the path back. That's not to say that there is not a path back, because there is. That's not to say that you couldn't run so far from God that He couldn't just turn you right around and put you right back on that path again. You know what it takes to be right with God again? Turn it around. You know, you seek forgiveness, and He turns you around and sets you right back on that right path again. Now, maybe God meant for you to be way over here, in your spiritual walk, but you've gone this direction, but you seek forgiveness, you repent of your sin, and you turn around and you start doing what's right again, you're back in the will of God again. Now, maybe he planned for you to have been way over there and you've cost yourself some things, but you can still get right back in the will of God again. You can still seek forgiveness and get things right with God again, Christian. No matter how far you've run from God and no matter how long you've done it, there is still hope. Just like Jonah. I mean, remember how far God went to keep Jonah around? <laughs> so much as sending a great fish to swallow him up and keep him alive after he tried to off himself by having himself thrown into the water. That's how far God went to keep Jonah. No, Jonah, I'm still not done with you. Jonah, you tried to toss yourself into the water and drown yourself because you don't like being punished by me. You don't like my, my discipline in your life. I'm not going to allow it. Well, I'm going to send a big fish to keep you alive and vomit you back up on dry land again once you get things right. And then Jonah was right back on the road again, going where he was supposed to have been in the first place. 
I tell my kids all the time. Now, here's how we can do this. I've told you, or you, you've got these pages that you have to read in your book, or you've got these math pages you've got to do, or whatever the case is, you're going to do this work. So we can do the whining and the crying, and you get in trouble and get punished, and then do the work, or you can just have a happy heart and go ahead and do the work. If the work's going to get done either way. <laughs> you know, It's a matter of whether or not you want to go through all this awfulness first before you get to the work. And of course, to me, it makes perfect sense. But yet, don't I, in a sense, often do this too? You know, God wants to do something amazing through me, God, through you. Work's got to get done. So should I spend five or ten years backsliding? Leaving some of that work maybe to not get done. You know, Jonah still ended up right where he was supposed to have been, but man, it cost him. And he still didn't have a right attitude when he got there to Nineveh. But I go back to this idea of being sure that you are trying to grow spiritual fruit by drawing upon the power of God and not apart or independent from the power of God. That is how you're going to grow spiritually. So this evening, I encourage you to be in the presence of God and to have your roots down deep, drawing upon the power of God. If you want to see any level of spiritual success in your life this week, this is the only way to go about it. The only way to go about it. You can, you can produce a fake peace for a period of time. You can produce a fake love for a period of time, but you cannot produce all the spiritual fruit that is listed to us, and you cannot do it for an extended period of time except through the power of God. And it is not by focusing on the fruit, but it is by focusing on the roots. And it is by focusing upon that which is the power of God. Jesus Christ was the first fruits of the resurrection. The resurrection reveals to us the power of God over death, over sin. And so through the resurrection, we see this picture of condemnation and a picture of conversion as well. Both the, the process from, from condemnation to conversion revealing to us the power of God in the whole thing. So I leave you with those thoughts this evening. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we do thank you for the great blessing it is to be gathered together in your house this evening. Lord, I thank you for our health. I thank you for our ability to be here. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to make sure that we are walking with you, Lord. I know we want to put on the best front when we walk into the church and put the smile on and make ourselves to appear to be these great mature Christians, but Lord, it'd be better if we were just who we are on the inside, on the outside. But Lord, let who we are on the inside be the Christian who digs their roots down deep into you and who draws upon your power to affect what goes on on the outside and the changes that occur on the outside of our lives, Lord. Lord, I pray that it be your power that changes us and that strengthens us, that helps us to overcome temptation and sin. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to dig those roots in down deep and that you'd help us to draw upon your power, Lord. We cannot do it apart or independent from your power. We can only do it through your power, Lord. And I ask that you would give us a good week here that we would, when we gather back together on Wednesday night, Lord, that you be pleased with the things that are done and said. 
Lord, that we would not have anything to hang our heads in shame, that we would not be disappointed because we didn't step out in faith when you called, that we didn't answer or even hear when you called. But Lord, we were ready. We were prepared and you called and we stepped out even if it's in a small way, Lord. We were obedient and we were faithful. We gave out the word of God. We uh, were a witness or a testimony to the gospel of Christ. Lord, I pray that you would just help us to draw upon your power this week and that we would be able to see as a byproduct spiritual fruit being produced in our lives. Not for our glory, Lord, but for your own. And I ask that you would give us a good night tonight, a safe trip home. And we just ask all of these things in your son's name, I pray. Amen. You've been listening to Straight from the Pulpit podcast from the pulpit of Shenandoah Baptist Church in Verona, Virginia. Be sure to follow this podcast and share this sermon with a friend. And if you're listening on Spotify, please leave us a five-star review. See you next time.